been asking me what I was going to get Molly up for Mother's Day, and I told them it's coming. You're welcome. I actually got you a, a cork with a water bottle because Bethany came with some cake, and I wanted to give her a gift, so I just gave her one. It comes Tuesdays on Amazon Prime. So these past three weeks, we've been exploring the impact of the digital world on ourselves, on our families, our communities, and ultimately on our faith. And I ran a brief summary of these past three weeks by Justin Noseworthy because I was in Italy, so I had to listen to all of them on Thursday. And so this summary is now Noseworthy approved. The rapidly evolving landscape of the digital world is literally changing our brains. Civilization is more connected than it has ever been, and yet many people are experiencing heightened levels of relational disconnectedness. Technology in and of itself is not bad or evil, but if we do not learn to use it in moderation, then it can become the center of our lives. On this final Sunday of the sermon series, we ask the question, so what now? See what I did there? Is that what you want me to say? That's the whole point of the sermon, so it's, so what now? Seriously, where do we go from here? Pastor Nate encouraged us last week to leverage technology for kingdom purposes. And my hope is to share some more insights on how exactly we can, we can be seed scatterers and sowers in the digital sphere. So throughout this sermon, my hope is that everyone will consider your own particular relationship with technology. Are you too invested in it? Do you simply write it off as a modern-day evil or distraction? And when you do use it, how are you being an image-bearer of Christ? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you. Believe it or not, I have very smart friends, and I just want parents and grandparents in here who might be worried about their teenagers. These friends were not always smart. I don't know anyone in this room that has three boys, and um, we, we grew up together in Virginia Beach, so I had the privilege of going to middle school, high school, and college with my friend Travis, who's actually pictured on Instagram picture, obviously, of us during our, my wedding water down what she would 
saying, but without sacrificing too much of it. His very first article that he published came in his second year at Princeton Theological Seminary, and it was in the Theological Review for that school. And he took up a position against a very interesting argument. A classmate of his was arguing for the validity and necessity of virtual churches. So this student saw how society was trending more and more toward online living, and his passion was to reach the depths of the internet for Christ. So he specifically referenced a virtual reality world called Second Life. And Second Life users, also called residents, create virtual representations of themselves called avatars. So I made an avatar of myself last night in an Amish pixel form. So these avatars are able to interact with places, objects, and other avatars. They can explore the world, known as the grid, meet other residents, socialize, participate in individual and group activities, build, create, shop, even trade virtual property and services for one another. These people who are operating the avatars are essentially living life vicariously through their avatars themselves. Travis's classmate was under the impression that a fully functioning and viable church could be planted and attended in this digital world, going so far as to say the sacraments of baptism and communion can take place. Travis graciously agreed with the motivation behind this thought. His classmate wanted to live out the Great Commission, but Travis was deeply concerned with how far this was being taken. God has made us his believers. Justin mentioned this in a moment, that Christ came and asked to value our physical humanity. And God has made us this way, and we're wired this way to actually be the center of physical community. So Travis is warning against the medium of online life. But what he does for us is he encourages Christians to critically and effectively engage the Chicago world. Max attended Fuller Theological Seminary with me, and he defends his dissertation in two weeks at the University of Oregon. I need to get Max on board with that work. He argues that social media has positive, uh, sorry, I should say, Max specialty at the University of Oregon is in social media. And so he argues that social media has positive relational effects. And Max sent me his completed, but not yet published, dissertation this week and took time to explain some of the terms. So the first thing, which he adamantly stated over and over, is that our digital lives have become an extension of who we are. Second, if on some level our digital presence is in fact our actual presence, then people want friends who are consistent and authentic. That means you act similarly in the physical world, as you do in the cyber world. Third, in his research, he discovered that people who did not have a social media presence actually experienced more loneliness than those who did. And finally, much in line with what Pastor Rick taught two weeks ago, there is a very real happy medium. Matt discovered that his sample population experienced optimal relational connectedness when they engaged 30 to 60 minutes a day in the digital world. Anything less led to more loneliness, and 
more could they have been using the term? Both of these friends are Christ followers. These are two guys that I turned to for wisdom and counsel. And Travis and Matt want to use technology in the digital world to sow seeds that will lead people into actual, real, authentic community with the Son, Jesus Christ. But the harvest that they want to reap is filled with renewed, renewed and restored people who join a faith family who actually sit and hear the spoken word together and receive the sacrament of baptism. Human beings were meant to live in community. Technology supplements that, but it does not replace it. Basically, we in the digital world cannot follow the digital world. So what now? This is a tightrope to walk, right? Just like in everyday life, being in the world and not of the world. A large part of my job and calling is to enter the world of teenagers. My counterpart, Amanda, and I, we go to their schools, sporting events, performances, graduations. We go to their church, to where they feel comfortable. And the fact of the matter is that most everyone, no matter the age, also has a digital home in which they live and feel comfortable. The platform might be different based on your generation. You've got older generations who are adopting the app or technology later, so they're using Facebook, texting, FaceTime, Skype, communication, Twitter, and Instagram. And when the old folks invade their safe spaces, the younger generations flee to newer technologies like Snapchat, middle schoolers love Musical.ly, Sohoho, House Party, etc., etc., etc. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's okay. Um, and by the way, parents and grandparents, if you are worried or concerned about an app that your teenager is using and you want them to stop, the best way to do it is to warn them. Be warned, they are going to find something else to do when you are doing something else with them. All of this is to say that not only do many people have an online presence, they actually consider it a major seal of their life. Jesus says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I have to believe that the essence of what faith every single nation and family that is more than faith today. And this includes the digital world. But we have to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And I'm convinced that this morning's biblical text gives us insight on how to do just that. So if you would, please come with me in your few Bibles or on your phone to Galatians 6. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself 
for at least we'll have to bear his benefits. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from, from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So these first five verses of this passage are key for this series and for our life as a family of God in Christ. When we approach a topic like this, I think everyone in this room probably has an opinion. And as we listen to these types of sermons, we often take the approach of comparing ourselves to others. So for this sermon specifically, you might be thinking, I'm not as bad as that person. So what I think I'm going to mock, I'm not as bad as that higher denomination. At least I don't have an addiction. Or at least I'm not on it for three hours a day. At least, at least, at least. And then you might think, I know someone else in my life who's struggling with this and who, who could really use this type of sermon. You have no idea how many times I've had a well-meaning and thoughtful parent or grandparent come to me with major concerns about their child's incessant technology use. After some investigating and counseling, I've come to find out that that same parent or grandparent is constantly checking their phone, Facebook, etc., and not taking the time to actually help their child, let alone model behavior that they want to around their child. Helping requires us to bear one another's burdens while simultaneously sharing the burden. And this is sacrificial love and what true biblical connectedness looks like because it requires us to know the person well enough that we know their burden. And then it demands that we walk alongside them, helping where and when we can. So as it pertains to this morning's subject matter, if someone you know is struggling with unhealthy digital habits, or if someone you know is making their struggles known through the digital world, then look for opportunities to serve them. And always approach them with a humble posture, knowing full well that you have burdens, struggles, and temptations of your own, but thanks be to God you are trained by a better flesh. And then the next five verses speak to something specific that has broader moral implications. Most scholars surmise that Paul is talking about the importance of sowing money into the church so that he might reap a bountiful harvest of believers. But as scholar N.T. Wright suggests, in the wider moral life, as well as the financial, it holds true that those who persevere with patience, not growing tired or losing their enthusiasm for living the life of the Spirit, will reap the true harvest. So basically, when we sow things that are in line with the Spirit, then we reap spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this fruit is for, for us individually and for us corporately. But when we sow our time, talent, and treasures into things that serve our own flesh, then we ultimately reap death and destruction. 
But Paul understands that selling into godly things is difficult. He understands that it takes perseverance. But he's convinced that the end result is absolutely worth the hard work. And I'm convinced of that as well. It is getting exponentially easier to sow into the things of the kingdom of God. I think you know that by now. I have a feeling. Yet I find that the real evil temptation of the digital world is that it distracts us. It can keep us from making the best use of our time. Making the best use of our time. In fact, as Kathy Gray pointed out, this is the intention of many tech companies. They actually want to create such an addictive program or app that the majority of our time is spent on it. With 84 students in Manhattan, it's a lot of high school. And when they show up at CCC on the day we depart, guess what? It's like an excitement. So they're going to be disconnected for at least those five to six days from the digital world. But our hope is that they will become more connected than they have been all year. They will connect with each other, with God, and then often overlook Scripture themselves. We do not simply ask them to abstain from using the device. The, the real purpose is that we want them to fill that void in their lives with the things of God. We want them to use that newly discovered time by doing work of sowing seeds into the field through prayer, fellowship, worship, solitude, and study. And this would be just a nearly impossible task if they had their phones with them. This would be a constant distraction. And I found that when these fears and feelings of loneliness and emptiness coming on, the new thing is we often reach our devices in order to distract us from feeling these feelings. And when that happens, technology has become the safe place to have refuge instead of God. But God often uses those types and kinds of feelings in order to get our attention. It is then that we come to realize that we're missing Him and His presence. So far this morning, we have heard that social media can actually help create intimacy between people. Also, our digital presence is now considered an extension of who we are. Hopefully, you have also heard that it is important for us to manage the distracting and destructive components of the digital world in our lives. But now I want to switch gears and explore how we might actually utilize technology and social media to sow to the Spirit. So I've compiled two separate lists, what to do and what not to do. And hopefully these lists give you practical tools and tips on how to live an authentic digital life. And I understand for some of you who are not in this world really that much, that this seems like a foreign language. And if that's the case, one thing that's handy about these lists is I think that they just apply to the life as well. So uh, maybe don't feel that strongly. Right? Maybe you don't feel that strongly. Someone else might feel that way. So, what to do. First, be a witness. If, in fact, our online presence is an extension of who we really are, then it is absolutely 
absolutely vital that our digital persona reflects the nature of Christ. This is the foundation for what we do in life. In our text, emails, Facebook, Instagram, everything, we are ambassadors of Christ. So the pictures we post, the comments we like, and the articles we all share impact our witness. Second, encourage specifically. Send encouraging texts and emails to specific individuals. Call people by their name. I hear that there's a certain grandmother in this congregation who sends her granddaughter uh, a Bible verse every morning. And what this does is actually opens up a further dialogue for the grandmother to invest in her life and make sure she has a better standing in life. Third, build trust. Take the time. Earn the right to speak into other people's lives. Just like in the real world, in face-to-face relationships, make sure to patiently build a repertoire of the people in life. Because any meaningful relationship takes hard work. Fourth, set boundaries. Set boundaries not only around your usage, but also around what you will discuss in life. Certain conversations, especially disagreements, should take place face-to-face. At the very least, Remember that what you post online is basically eternal, forever. It's there. Someone will find it. So think long and hard about what you post before you post it. A practice that I've adopted in my own life is that um, when I read like an article that usually has like kind of controversial comments, I'll write out my response. And this is something that we don't have the luxury of doing in this day and age. I'll write out my response, but I don't. They are willing, willing to say things online that they would otherwise not say. Remember, being authentic is key. Would you say it someone, to someone face-to-face? Would you say it at your workplace or in the classroom? If not, don't put it online. Second, don't blemish. This one is near and dear to my heart. As Christ followers, it is absolutely essential that we do not blemish ridicule or speak falsely about Christ's bride. This is especially important in such a public and permanent forum as the internet. Of course Christians have disagreements. I get that. But just remember that the world is watching and Satan loves division. Third, don't take offense. I heard it said recently that it is our personal decision whether or not to be offended by something. You will encounter tons of non-Christians on the internet. Some of them will be very hostile to, to our faith. But in my 10 years of doing ministry and kind of living in this world a little bit, I have never heard or read about someone 
converting another person to an online learner. Just keep that in mind. Finally, don't correct. If you see a brother or sister in Christ sinning online, then please, please, please do not correct them publicly. It makes them look bad, you look bad, and most importantly, Christ looks bad. Take the time to call them or meet them for a cup of coffee. Perhaps some of you can think of some other helpful hints and share them with me. You can share them with your small group or your family. The idea is that we need to build each other up and bear one another's burdens. This is coming at us fast. It's a new frontier. We need all of the help that we can get so that we sow to the Spirit and reap from the Spirit. So let me end with a story that I think encapsulates, encapsulates what to do and what not to do. That's most of our lives, right? Back in Florida, I was working closely with a young man who was having some very serious struggles. And I was his soccer coach. I knew his family. They were all believers. Even though I saw this kid every day at soccer practice, his primary form of communication with me was through Snapchat. So that's the Snapchat logo icon. Um, It's basically, and my students can correct me if I'm wrong, but basically it's the preferred way of students messaging one another. So I would get home after work and soccer practice, and he would reach out to me late at night, and I would do my best to disciple and encourage him whenever he sent me a message. And I was so intent on serving him that I would literally check his snaps mid-conversation with my wife. I would explain to her that he needed me. In many ways, I saw the digital world as my mission field, and I immersed myself in it. I've had some great success sowing seeds there, and this is why I'm commending you all to do the same. But I had terrible boundaries, and in some ways still do, because I have such a strong desire that motivates me because I don't want to let people down. But every time I choose to respond to an email, check a text, or send a snap while I'm at home, again to your family, both your biological family and the family of God. Let's pray together. Thank you, Pastor Luke. You've given me a lot to work on. Um, Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for technology that you've inspired as people create. We thank you for the many ways it it saves lives, it helps us flourish. We also struggle. Um, First, we ask you to just protect us from the people who would would use the digital world for evil. We ask you to help us to use it wisely. We ask for your grace that you would 
just forgive us um, the many ways that we may misuse it or use it unwisely. We need your grace every day, Lord. We also ask, Holy Spirit, that um, you would fill us with your power. Do inside of us the things that we, are, we don't have the power to do. That you change our attitudes and change our desires. That you would just fill us with your presence. Just do what, what, what you can do that we cannot. Transform us. Change our hearts so that we're more than anything enamored with you. Not games, not gossip, not gambling, not porn, not shopping, not social media, not being in the know. Lord, help us just to humbly admit and seek your grace and your forgiveness for the ways in which we're, we're not doing that. Help us to work with our small group to confess and to work together to support each other with good boundaries. Help us to be good examples to our children and our grandchildren. And Lord, as we're about to give back to you a, a portion of what you've entrusted to us, we just thank you for giving us this opportunity to show our love for you, our trust that you'll provide. We know you are a giver joyful and generous, we ask that you'd make us that too. And as we invest in your kingdom, we ask that our hearts would follow our investment and that you would not allow us to get wrapped up in the materialism of our age. We ask that you would multiply these gifts so that they'll accomplish a great deal of good. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.